0: Um, <clears throat> I didn't really plan ahead with Jason, but I did have a little bit of a knowledge of what he was going to discuss. So if you were here for the Sunday school hour, you heard Jason giving us some very practical and very helpful, uh, techniques for how to share the gospel with, with other people who may not know the gospel. One of the things that I'm going to do today is actually not really share techniques, but more content and, um, um, it's, some of these things are important to get right, and they translate you, uh, or they translate into actually having a good technique. That is, the content of the gospel that you preach, the, the content of the message, directly correlates, or is directly influencing the effectiveness of your preaching. It is my supreme conviction that the Holy Spirit does not anoint words of fake and false gospels and weak gospels that do not include the supremacy of Christ and some of the other things we're going to talk about today. So when we're we're going this summer to to help people in this neighborhood, the only thing that we have to help them with is the saving knowledge of the work of Christ in order for their lives to not only be redeemed on the last day of judgment, but also to be transformed here. And now everything else that we do is a mere Avenue to presenting Christ risen, Resurrected, ascended, and glorified, reigning on the on the throne of heaven. That's what we sang this morning when we sang, "Be exalted in your judgment, stretch out your hand of righteousness, or your scepter of righteousness." The reason we sing that song is because we're asking. It's a, it's what some people call a um, a penitential psalm or or a uh, not a penitential psalm. But, um, I forget the term. It Doesn't matter. But it's a it's a psalm in which the original psalm was actually. A, a prayer that the people of God said to God in that he would reign against his enemies, that he would defeat them. And when we as the church sing that Psalm, we're actually singing, we're asking God that he would reign and have victory against the powers of evil. This isn't a military battle where people are, are being killed, but rather that people are being slain with the sword of the spirit. That is the word of God and their, their, recreated in the image of Christ. And so that's what we're, we're doing when we, we share the gospel. We're bringing the sword into the earth and uh, that requires us to wield the word with boldness. One of the things that I find very helpful is the mnemonic. Uh, when you look at the word sword, it's S-W-O-R-D. It's an S word. It's a word of the spirit. That's, that's what we do when we're going to be going in these next few months to all these neighborhoods. We're bringing them uh, flyers and those flyers are merely uh, a way to get them into a place where we can present the gospel to them and to love on them and to demonstrate God's willingness, not only to send his son, but also his spirit to create a people who would bring a message of hope and good news to the earth. So we're going to look at some of the elements Uh, The the context for this message is not just that we're doing some witnessing in the next few months with with the the Bible study. It's also, this is what comes right after the day of Pentecost. So if you remember two weeks ago, we did Ascension and then Pentecost. And now today we're into a new season in the church's life. It's called ordinary time. And this time is, it's not like Christmas. It's not like Easter. It's a special, unique time. And what we do in this time is is fast and pray, share the gospel, and live lives of of, uh, thankfulness as well as responsibility in the things that God has called us to. So we're going to look at these elements of our reading today. First, we're going to look at the signs and wonders that accompanied uh, Peter and John's activity that day. We're going to look at what it means to have a history-informed gospel A gospel that is not just Jesus died on the cross, would you like to come up at the end kind of gospel. Um, We're also going to look at how every true presentation of the gospel includes a warning of judgment. It is very unpopular today in some branches of the church to have any sort of notion of judgment. We're going to look at why I I believe and this church teaches that that's wrong to not include a warning. We're going to look at how Peter was filled with the spirit when he answered the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then we're going to look at the exclusivity of salvation. That is, there is one name under heaven by which all men must be saved. Without that core element, you have no gospel. And if you do not believe in that core element of the Christian faith, then you do not understand the Christian faith and you need to go through some sort of... Search either directed by your pastoral leadership or on your own or or through a book to discover what the Bible says about the primacy that is the, that, that is the supreme importance of Christ alone. And then we're going to look finally at how all of their success in witnessing translated them back to a place where they were praying again for boldness to go out. And this is a cycle that, that takes place in the church. So, Uh, today we know for certain that in our experience in the church, we uh, are deficient in a number of areas. One of them is specifically signs and wonders. We pray for people to be healed and we see some measure of healing. We pray for people to be delivered from demons and there's some measure of deliverance. There's, there is, there is spiritual fruit of the things that we do, the, the, the the ministries that God has for us to minister to one another, to bless each other, there is some measure of fruitfulness there. But we know that we are not seeing, at least in our church, the same type of fruit that the apostolic uh, preaching accompanied. And so, I think that we should be on a search for why that is uh, the case. And I think there is uh, a strong reason for that. One of them is the division that exists in the hearts of Christians against other branches of the Christian faith. I do not believe that God honors our preaching and ministry when we have hatred for our brothers. In fact, the book of 1 John says that we can't love God if we hate our brothers. And so while we have theological disagreements with other branches of the church, the functional disunity of hatred in our hearts for other branches of the church translates to the Holy spirit, not moving. I think that's a core element of what we are missing today that the apostles had, they certainly did have theological disputes. And you see some of them in the book of acts, but they're resolved by people coming to the truth and forgiveness and where, where people don't meet up, they part ways, but they part ways in good faith and they don't, you know, they don't hate one another. And I think that's a, a core element. But the mo- most important reason why, um, in my opinion, why we do not see the fruit that the apostles saw in terms of healing and, and miraculous demonstrations, signs and wonders, the Bible calls them, is that we do not preach the same gospel that the apostles preached. And I mean that specifically with the the terms that we'll talk about later today. So when, when Peter and John go through this experience where they pray for this person and instantly they stand up, their ankles and legs are strengthened and they can walk again, this was a creative miracle. And Peter and John do not set up the Peter and John evangelistic association and start driving Bentleys. They don't do that. But we do that in the church today. There are some branches of the church where people who obtain some measure of success in in healing or or having a church or or you know discipling people, they establish kingdoms of their own name, and they do not glorify the name of Jesus. And that's one of the reasons why we don't see continued revival through signs and wonders. The other thing is that. And again, my core point is that we've lost the the central message of apostolic preaching, that is the supremacy of Christ and a warning for judgment. So... Uh, in the midst of Peter's explanation that day, after Peter goes and, and heals this guy and then everyone comes in the temple to Solomon's porch or the portico of Solomon, as it reads in the ESV, he then stands up and makes a proclamation saying, we didn't do this because we're pious people. We didn't do this because we, re- you know, we fasted more than the rest of you Hebrew believers. We did this because... Christ came and gave us power. And then Peter goes on to connect it. He says, this is what happened. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers has sent his son, Jesus, and through his name, through faith in his name, all people will be saved. That that was Peter's, you know, that's a summary of what Peter says that day. The important thing to note is that Peter has a history informed gospel. This is not a gospel that is just Jesus died for your sins, people of Israel. And that's it. He connects it to all of the promises of God. He demonstrates that Peter's gospel that day is saying Jesus Christ coming in the flesh demonstrates the faithfulness of your covenant making and covenant creating and keeping God. And he says that Jesus coming in the flesh, dying, on the cross, being crucified, handed over to godless men, that all of that is demonstrating that God is faithful to Israel, where Israel hadn't been faithful to God. And so I think our gospel that we preach in America today basically says, Jesus died for your sins, come to the altar. You know, do you want Jesus with your career? Do you want Jesus with your 2.5 kids, manicured lawn, white picket fence, American dream? I think that that gospel is not at all going to be effective. It, essentially, you have to ask yourself, if I'm living as a person in the American culture and I haven't heard of Christ, and you tell me that 2,000 years ago, a guy 6,000 miles away or 2,000 miles away, however far it is, 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away, he died for me. What what does that mean? And, and you should ask yourself when you 're evaluating your effectiveness of sharing the gospel, why should I care if you should you should ask yourself, put yourself in the context of, a, of an unbelieving uh, person just in our culture, ask yourself why does it matter that Christ died, and if you can 't answer that question based on the information that you would have provided this supposed person then your gospel is not a historically informed gospel that has been contextualized and made relevant to today. One of the things that I think is important for our gospel uh, is to include all of the things that we've been talking about, both in Christ in the Old Testament series, as well as the uh, series that we had just finished up on the Apostles Creed, all of the parts of the redemptive historical accounts of the Bible They all need to be in there because without them, man does not have any knowledge of his need for God. So they must include the fall, God's promise to Abraham to bless the world because it demonstrates God's kindness. Uh, It must include the, the giving of the law and the prophets who prophesy that Jesus will come. Because if you don't include at least all of those things, you can't demonstrate through the fall that we all have sinned through Abraham, that God is good through the law that we cannot live up to God's laws on our own through the prophets that Christ will come in the in the flesh. If you don't include all of those things, then it's completely irrelevant that this guy named Jesus who claimed to be God showed up 2000 years ago. If you don't have that, you don't have Jesus. It's one and the same. And without Jesus, uh, being put in the context of coming as the fulfillment of all the prophecies of the covenant creating God to his unfaithful people, Israel, therefore demonstrating his supreme love, then you will have no meaning when we get to Calvary. You'll have nothing. So without history, there's no context to why Jesus uh, dying should be any good news and why it should matter at all. And that, that presents an extreme difficulty to us. Um, especially because we've begun to believe that when an unbeliever comes into the church, we've got one shot and we got to get them all the way through the door and, you know, not only repentant, but also baptized and then join the church all in one day. It's not really going to happen. Um, One of the things to keep in mind is Peter, when he gives this summary of redemptive history, he's talking to people who were Jews. They had read over and over and over again, the stories of the old covenant scriptures, that is Genesis all the way to to Malachi. Is that where it ends? I think. Anyway, so the, the point being that, that they had a knowledge of what had already happened before Christ. We have a tougher job because we have to contextualize Jesus coming in the flesh to our society. And you see different ways of doing that. Paul, when he gets to Mars Hill actually demonstrates to the Greeks, this, this idol that you have set up in your temple, the the idol to the unknown God, this unknown God I present to you. And he then goes and demonstrates how the Greeks had some knowledge that there was a supreme true God, but they didn't know who he was. And so Paul contextualized the gospel to them. I think we have to contextualize the gospel to our culture. And one of the ways is to demonstrate how Christianity itself preaches against consumerism, living for yourself as your own God, uh, what some people might call the American dream. You know, Christianity is not against prosperity or material goods, but it is against idols. And in in our culture, we have a tendency to idolize the 2.5 kids, the white picket fence, manicured lawn, you know, Chrysler or whatever kind of car you want in the driveway kind of life. We, we do that. And so we need to, as a church and as a body of believers, examine the gospel that we're presenting to make sure it has relevancy to the people that we're sharing with. Um, so, uh, the next element one of one of the things that we've totally lost if well almost totally lost is a warning of judgment. In this passage today that we that Larry had just read, Peter gives a very strong warning that there's going to be a judgment that comes on Jerusalem. And he he does so so that people will be saved. He doesn't leave them ignorant. Yes, this is a warning that not listening to Christ, not obeying the gospel, will result in tragedy befalling those who don't do it. In this verse, Acts 3.23, he says, uh, he's quoting Moses and he's applying Moses. He's saying Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy that Moses gave. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet, speaking of Jesus, shall be destroyed from the people. That is, those who don't turn to Christ, those who don't join this new people called the church are going to face a judgment. And that, that judgment repeats itself, not just in the destruction of Jerusalem, but also the judgment that comes at the end of the age when Christ returns. And so without this knowledge, it's, it's, it's an extremely dangerous and I think evil thing to do to not give people who are in danger of death and destruction a warning that this is what the the gospel says. It's kind of like this. If you, uh, a lot of times you hear this analogy, someone's in a building, it's on fire, you're outside the building, you're a fireman, you know how to put out the fire, but you know that this house is burning up and the fire is going to take the house. You don't go inside to tell the person who's in there who might be sleeping. That's, we'd literally consider applying a charge of murder or manslaughter, at least, to that to that firefighter who had failed to warn the person. Uh, that's what you're doing when you present a gospel that doesn't have any sort of notion of judgment by works on the last day. That's why we talked about it in the Apostles' Creed. That is apostolic preaching. And without that, I believe the Holy Spirit doesn't want to anoint that kind of gospel. So... Uh, Another thing that happens when it says that Peter stands up to makes it, make his defense, he sa- it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. If we go uh, over these next few months to door to door and sharing flyers, and we do it out of a soulish individual desire to see people, you know, come and maybe the church to get larger. If we're not filled with the Spirit, uh, people won't come. They won't be impacted with the gospel. If we're going to proclaim boldly we need to understand that the source of Peter's boldness in these chapters is not Peter but the Holy Spirit. We, if you remember last week we talked about how Peter had denied Christ and now after Pentecost Peter stands up in the in the most evil city in the history of the world that is Jerusalem had killed as it says in this in this reading today they had killed the author of life I mean, do you do you see how big that is? You killed the creator. We, we talk about the evils of Sodom, and Gomorrah today in our society, San Francisco, Las Vegas. I assure you, Jerusalem at this time was more wicked than any of those cities. They had killed God himself. And so, Peter stands up in the midst of these hating, violent people, and he says to them what God has done through Jesus. That boldness that Peter had was not from himself, but rather from the Holy Spirit. Likewise, when we go out to these neighborhoods and to to share the gospel, to, to, to tell people of God's love through the person and work of Jesus, if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, we won't have boldness and we'll shrink back. The, the final element that I believe is lacking in American preaching is that was present in apostolic preaching is the exclusive exclusivity of Jesus Christ. In today's political correctness culture, we have uh, by and large, not every single person in the church has done this, but by and large, we kind of present Christ as an alternative. Uh, if you've ever seen that bumper that says coexist, you, you've got, you've got Buddhism Islam, Judaism, Christianity, I think the Sikh symbol is there. I don't know what it's called, but you've got all those symbols and they all say the word coexist. Well, brothers and sisters, that is the spirit of the age. That is not Christianity. And if you believe that Christ is one of many options, such as Muhammad, Buddha, etc., you have not come to Christ because Christ says that apart from me, you can do nothing and that no one comes to the father, but by me. Christ testified of himself and he said that no one can come to God unless they go through the door that is Christ. And if you are not settled, if that issue is not settled in your heart, you have no business attempting to share the Christian gospel. It's you need the gospel if if that is the case. Now, I don't want to be mean about this issue, but there is no room for compromise. Peter says this in acts four eleven through twelve he says he he testifies against the Jewish leaders the Pharisees and the and the Sadducees he testifies against them and says this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you the builders now this is a poetic picture you see. In the book of First Peter, he says that Christ being the cornerstone, we are all living stones being built up into a holy temple where the spirit re- resides and the glory of God dwells on the earth. And so this is a word picture that the gospel uses. You and I were fitted together, we're placed next to each other, and people are then built on us. And there's a building, there's a structure called the church. And what Peter does here. He says, Christ is the fulfillment of the prophetic picture called the cornerstone, the author and and perfecter of our salvation, Christ alone, the cornerstone. He is the one that these builders have rejected. And the reason he calls them builders is he's trying to make it clear to them that they're building something other than God's temple. That's what what happens in the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. There is a rivalrous temple that was being built. And so so the the temple of Jerusalem being struck down demonstrates Peter's prophetic warning here. You're building something that's not on Christ. And then he says, which has become the cornerstone. The cornerstone of what? The cornerstone of the church, God's new movement in the earth. And he ties it specifically, and there is salvation in no one else. Buddha, Mohammed, Joseph Smith, anything. There's no salvation apart from Christ alone as the son of God who redeems mankind from his fallen state occurred in the rebellion of Adam and restores him to new life being filled with the Holy spirit. That alone is the way in which men are saved from destruction. For there is no other name under heaven that is no name on the earth that is given by which men must be saved. If you are not saved through the faith that comes in the name of Christ, then you are not saved and and there is a destruction according to Romans 1 and other places in the scripture that is hanging over your head. So, if we are to preach the gospel, we have to have this issue of the exclusivity of Christ settled. If we do not have that, we are not presenting them any help at all. Both the warning and the exclusivity of Christ are two sides of the same coin that is apostolic preaching. Um, Now, again, I don't want to be rude. I don't want to be mean. and And when you get this settled in the way that you present Christ, you not only need to be able to argue why, as Christians, we believe Christ alone. But you also need to do it in a spirit of humility and meekness in presenting with people who don't believe. It it makes no sense to go into an unbeliever's home if they should invite you in when you knock on the door and be arrogant and uh, mean in presenting the gospel. The whole point of the gospel is that God redeems his people, Israel, who were rebellious and turning away, even to the point of killing the son of God. And yet he still through faith in his name, through us seeing Christ on the cross, dying for us, taking our penalty at that sight, that beautiful vision, he creates us anew by the Holy spirit and makes us into the people of God, where we were a, previously the children of wrath, people who were against God. And so that entire message of that redemptive historical gospel that needs to be presented in love, but it needs to have a warning and it needs to have an exclusive Jesus without it doesn't have anything powerful. And then finally, if we're going to go out, we need to follow this cycle. If you remember Peter and John, they healed this guy. They were going on their way to pray. They healed him. It turned into a preaching session. They were then arrested. That turned into a preaching session. And then finally, they come back to the apostles, they come back to the rest of the disciples. It says they come back to their friends and they all pray again. And they're all who the people who were at acts two, who had been baptized in the spirit in acts four again, it says the place again was shaken and they were baptized in the Holy spirit. So this needs to become a cycle for us. If we're to go out and have a little bit of ministry effectiveness, if we don't come back and pray for boldness, Pray for a renewed zeal that God would not only give us fruitfulness, but also encouragement to stand up amongst the threats of not only physical violence, but social austerity. If we don't come back to pray for boldness, we won't be effective on the next go out and it'll die. What God has started through the day of Pentecost is not supposed to end. It is supposed to go on and on and on. But what happens is we see a little bit of effectiveness. And because of our complacency, we're okay with a few people hearing about Christ. But brothers and sisters, there are people all across the east side of Dayton, the entire city of Dayton, really the, the entire world. But in these neighborhoods alone, there are thousands of people who've never heard a redemptive, historical, informed gospel that makes any sense to them. They've heard, they've heard tangentially some things on television, some things in culture that Jesus died, but they don't understand why it matters to them and why it's really important. And without you going, they have no hope. So that's why we're beginning to take steps as a church in this time of the summer to, to go out and to share God's love with people, because we desire like our father's desire that none should perish, that all should be saved. That's God's will. And so as we seek to do his will, it's important that we build our gospel presentations and our, our teaching, our, our understanding. It's, it's important that you are able to provide a defense for the things that we talked about today. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful season in the church. God, we ask you that you would restore a, warning of judgment in the gospel preaching that this church and other churches around here send out lord we ask you that you would cause us to read your word and believe what it says that there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved god we ask you that you would cleanse our hearts and minds from the influencing of the spirit of the age which says all religions are equal and all people are are equally valid in their opinions God, we ask you that we would counter that idea with the idea that all people are made in the image of God and God desires for all to come to the knowledge of salvation through Christ alone. Lord, we ask you that you would fill us with the Holy spirit. Once again, that you would not only give us power to speak, but that signs and wonders apostolic power would accompany apostolic preaching Lord, we ask you that you would open our eyes to the things that your word says concerning how people can be saved. We ask you that you would give us the ability to speak that we would not only have free mouths, that is willing voices, but also that we would have clear minds filled with scripture that you would give us the ability to reason and to make a defense against those who would be detractors of your gospel. And Lord, we ask you for a restoration of the church, one that would accompany and embody all these things that we mentioned today. God, we ask you for a clear witness. In Jesus' name, amen.